have been in our Christmas series that we started last week, and we've been saying that Christmas in our culture often feels like that wonderful celebration for people who have it all together. And yet, if it isn't that perfect scene, we can often feel like outsiders to the Christmas story. The biblical picture is far more realistic uh, than, than that and gives us uh, really a, a different perspective on Christmas altogether. In Matthew's uh, account, uh, he begins his Christmas account with a genealogy of Jesus. And in it, he includes the stories of five hurting women. He does that to show uh, that God's love can overcome people's rejection and so we have been just beginning to walk through the, the stories of those five women, and we'll continue today with the second, uh, Rahab and God's love for a prostitute. Now, in our culture, and maybe in your mind, when you hear that word uh, prostitute, often people will just uh, have a certain image of a bad person, and that makes us feel good because then we can say that we are good people and we're not like that. And, and yet often there's a backstory. Uh, consider uh, Cynthia. She was introduced to hard alcohol at five years of age, and marijuana at six. At eight years of age, she was raped by a cousin. And then at nine, her father died. Uh, she was angry and afraid. She left home and began living on the streets. At age 13, she had her first child, and she had two more in the uh, uh, several years uh, following that. And at one point, uh, she found herself in this situation just crying out for help. Uh, she had turned to drugs as a way of coping with the pain and to prostitution as a way to get the drugs. At one point, she weighed 64 pounds and asked God, Either take my life or send me to jail. I can't continue like this. It was soon after that she was arrested and uh, she was uh, put in jail. But God met her there and eventually turned her life around. It was through the love of Christ shown through a Christian community and a residential program uh, that she finally was able to uh, get sober, get a job, and come to know the blessing of God. Becca Stevens was a woman who was really overseeing her recovery process, and she said this, women like Cynthia find themselves in similar situations because of a combination of family failures, community breakdown, and poor choices. But you don't make a lot of choices if you get raped at eight years old. When we hear the word prostitute, we should probably think of Cynthia and have that as kind of an understanding of how someone can end up in, in the position that, that they are. Now, in Jesus' genealogy in Matthew chapter 1, Matthew, as I said, lists these five women. And genealogies were typically just fathers and their, and their sons, fathers and their sons. So he wants us to see these women. He wants us to learn from these women. And they're there to teach us something. And... He wants us to ask the question, who is this woman? And what, what is she there for? What is her connection with Christmas? What's her connection with Jesus? So 
if you have your, have your Bible, we're, we're looking at uh, Rahab, who appears in Matthew chapter 1, verse 5. But to hear her story, we're going to go back to Joshua chapter 2, and I'm going to read from verses 1 to 14. If you don't have a Bible, there's a, a Bible in the rack under the seat in front of you, uh, and uh, I'll just be walking through that story this morning. Joshua chapter 2, verses 1 to 14. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I do not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you'll overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords. And as the gate was shut, as soon as the pursuers had gone out, Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, Our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God, in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house. And give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, Our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us a land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. This is the word of God. Let's just walk through this story and see how Rahab's life and message is connected with the message of Christmas. Now, the first thing that becomes clear is that Rahab isn't connected to Christmas because of her morality or virtue. God doesn't rescue her because she's such a good person. She has her backstory like Cynthia did. She's connected to Christmas, but not because of her morality or virtue. Now, when we jumped into the reading, there's a man named Joshua who is uh, sending out two spies. Uh, They uh, Joshua here is Moses' successor, and the nation of Israel is preparing for war. They are on the other side of the Jordan, just east of the Jordan, and they are preparing to come into the promised land to carry out God's judgment. God had told Abraham that this day of judgment on the people of Canaan would come almost 500 years earlier. But God has been patient. He has waited for the time to come and for the sin of the Canaanites to reach its limits. In Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 5, it says, It is because of the wickedness of these nations 
that the Lord is driving them out before you. Uh, For instance, people sacrificed their children, not, not metaphorically, literally sacrificed their children in order to gain the favor of the gods. Uh, People would go to temple prostitutes in order to uh, seek the blessing of rain on their crops. And God had seen uh, this this, uh, uh, culture of people generation after generation committing the worst forms of sin, violence, and oppression. And finally, after 500 years, he said, enough. It was time to, to bring it to an end. He sent the Israelites in with a very specific mission that they were to uh, be used of him to bring judgment and wrath upon them. When we meet Rahab later in the story, we are to picture a woman living in one of the most sinful cultures of history. We are to picture a a people that are on the verge of destruction, on Uh, ready for God's wrath, and God has declared that it's time's up. And and so you have that picture. Now, in verse 1, Joshua sends in two spies from a city named Shittim, just east of the Jordan River. Notice that there are two spies here, and notice also that they're sent in secretly. Joshua has learned his lesson. A, A generation earlier, Moses had also sent some spies into the land. He sent 12 spies, representatives from each of the tribes, in a very political maneuver and seeking to get the support and backing of each of the tribes. Joshua says, we're not going to do that again. When Moses sent in the 12 tribes, 10 of them came back scared stiff and their, their fear spread through uh, the tribes that they represented and People were like, we're not going to do that. We're not going to go in. The people are too big. The problems are too huge. We can't overcome them. At this time, uh, it's just about preparing for war, not deciding on it. They won't be holding a vote. The spies enter the city of Jericho. At this time, there was probably about a couple thousand people there. But it was an important trading route. So if you were going to if you were going to come in and seek to do harm in uh, the, uh, the, the land of Canaan, then Jericho was going to be your starting point. So it was, an, it was a very well-fortified city. In verse 1, this, the, the spies head into Rahab's house, and you're thinking, she's a prostitute. What kind of operation is she running here? What are these two Israelite spies doing in a brothel? This doesn't sound like your typical Bible story. Well, at this time, prostitution was often connected with inns. Uh, So both of those things are likely uh, taking place under Rahab's uh, house here. And uh, so the, the men have found a place where Men are coming and going, and they could slip in and hopefully go unnoticed, rent a room, and uh, not draw the attention of the authorities or of the other locals. Now, Rahab was better off than Cynthia. Uh, She appears to own her own home. 
Uh, she appears to be on good terms with both parents because uh, they, they uh, appear in verses 12 and 13. She, she vouches for them. She wants them to be saved as well, as well as having good relations with her brothers and sisters. Whatever her backstory is, uh, there is still some kind of relationship with them. But there's never a mention of a husband nor of children. So likely for a, a, a woman in her time, that probably meant that she was either widowed or abandoned. As a widow, her options were limited, and she decides to sell her body. You have someone living in one of the most sinful places in all history. And she is probably looked down on by all of the people of that city as one of the most sinful people in this city, which we're saying is already one of the most sinful places uh, in history. And it's a time when God's patience has run out and the time for judgment has come. And then we get this little detail about her home being in the wall. And you think, what's that detail for? And to, except you and I, if you are, have any familiarity with uh, the story of Jericho, you know what happens to the walls, right? How does the song go? The walls come tumbling down. How'd you like to have a house in the wall? And so we are picturing Rahab now as the, 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 the target number one. She is uh, the, the most... Uh, uh, desperate situation. She is the most, the least likely person ever to be rescued by God. And yet she was. We're still trying to figure out why. What is it? What is it about her story? How could she end up being saved? Philip Yancey was asked to speak at a conference on ministry to women in prostitution. And there were many women who had uh, uh, either were, were recovering or had recovered, ministering to those who had recovered. And at one point he asked the women why it was that in the Gospels, at one point Jesus says that the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of heaven when the religious authorities aren't. He said, why do you think that, why do you think that is? And a woman from Eastern Europe answered like this. She said, Everyone has someone to look down on, not us. We're at the bottom. Our families, they feel shame for us. No, no mother ever looks at her little girl and says, when you grow up, I want you to be a good prostitute. And most places, she says, we're breaking the law. We know how people feel about us. We're the bottom. And sometimes when you're at the bottom, you cry for help. So when Jesus comes, we respond. What we've seen about Rahab so far, she was at the very bottom. And she responds. She cries out for help. That's how she became connected to the Christmas story. And Matthew puts her here as an example of hope for all of us. Rahab teaches us that there's no such thing as too far gone, beyond God's mercy. There, there is no person that is beyond his ability to rescue. It's about a Savior who came for sinners. It's about a God who rescues us for judgment. That's the message of Christmas. 
then Rahab shows us that no one is beyond that message. No one is excluded from God's mercy. So Rahab wasn't connected to Christmas because of her morality or her virtue. She was, however, connected to Christmas because of her faith. Without a preacher or a Bible study, Rahab put her faith and trust in the God of Israel and experienced God's mercy. She became connected to Christmas because of her faith. Now for this, we're going to drop down to verses 9 to 12 because it's there that Rahab gives this declaration of the faith that motivated all of the rest of her actions in the story. In verse 9, she says, I know that the Lord has given you the land. She's referring to a promise that God had made to to Moses and then later reaffirmed to Joshua. When you see the word the um, Lord in all capitals like that, if you, most of your Bibles will probably show it in that way, as, and it's distinguished from sometimes the Lord just shows up with one capital and, and lowercase letters. Uh, when it's all caps like that, it is, dis, it is a, uh, a way of representing the personal name of God, Yahweh in, uh, in, in Hebrew. And so even though Rahab had never read the scriptures for herself, she is referring to the God of Israel by his personal name, uh, Yahweh. And uh, she has obviously heard the stories. She has heard the rumors. What has happened here is that as a nation of slaves is delivered from Egypt, as they are set free with miracles and wonders, those stories have begun to travel. And people are beginning to hear Uh, what God is doing, and what might be next. People talked about where the Israelites had come from and uh, where they were headed. They talked about their God and how he had defeated powerful Pharaoh, how how they had then uh, gone on to to carry out uh, judgment on Sihon and Og. And stories circulated about the promise to Abraham and the fulfillment under Moses, that God had promised them the land, that God was at work. And Rahab, amidst all that was going on in her life, and as unlikely a prospect that she would be, she believed in God's promise. She took hold of uh, this this God and, and laid hold of him. She also believed in God's judgment. If you look at verse 9, she says, The fear of you has fallen upon us, and all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. That's because, as she explains, they have heard at this point of what Israel did to uh, the, the, the two peoples uh, on the east side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og. She hears of these victories, and she connects them with the judgment and wrath of God. It would have been easy for her at this point to explain away. She wasn't there. She's hearing this news secondhand, and it would be easy for her to discount it as fake news. They're probably exaggerating. They're probably just trying to spread propaganda. We probably don't need to worry about this this nation. She could have easily discounted it. And yet, interestingly, as as you look at this, she, in verse 10, uses religious language, talking about devoting to destruction. She uses the language of, 
uh, of Deuteronomy to describe what has taken place as if to say, this isn't any ordinary military campaign. I know that God is using these people to carry out his purposes and to carry out his judgment, and I think we're next. So she believed in God's judgment. Now picture yourself at this time. You are a prostitute in what even Rahab probably could have recognized was a deeply sinful and depraved city. And now she has become convinced that God has promised the land to Israel and that they are going to carry out his judgment. What are you thinking is going to happen to you? You are, if if you are naturally thinking through things, you're assuming that you're going to be left out again. You're going to be on the receiving end of God's judgment. You're thinking, God may be doing something, but... This is, I'm, I'm not going to be a part of the, 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 the good ending of this story. If God is coming in judgment and you're running a brothel, you're thinking, I'm on the top of his list. He probably already has a target on my back. And yet, somehow, Rahab believed in God's mercy. She believed in God's deliverance. She trusted in the Lord to save her. In verse 12, she asks the two spies for kindness. And in doing so, she uses the the Hebrew word for covenant love. It's one of the defining characteristics of uh, the God of the Bible in, in the Old Testament. And she lays hold of that word and she pleads, show me that covenant love. Show me that kindness. It's amazing that she had the courage to ask for it. It's amazing that she, she had the courage to think that covenant love, that kindness of your God could somehow be extended to me despite all of my background, despite uh, the position that I found, find myself in. And she even tells us where that courage came from. In verse 10, she says, We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. She thought, if there's a God who rescues slaves who are feeling oppressed and are being mistreated, then maybe that's the kind of God who could rescue even a prostitute. Maybe maybe that kind of God could rescue even me. She had heard of what God did in bringing those miracles to release them from slavery. And she thought, maybe that's the kind of God who could make make something of this mess of a life that I'm in. Because I need a miracle to get out of this. I am so deep into my situation here. If it wasn't a gracious, merciful, but miracle-working God, there would be no hope for me. There would be no relief. In verse 11, when she says, the Lord, your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. She's not just making a dry statement of orthodox doctrine. She's not just declaring certain facts about what God is like. She's saying, the God I've been hearing about, 
can't just be the God of Israel. A God who can do that has got to be bigger than that. He has got to be ruler over all. He's got to be the creator, the almighty. He has to, he has to be the one who rules the universe and rules all the peoples of the world. And she says that with hope and conviction because that's a lifeline for her because she's not an insider to anybody's group, certainly not to the people of Israel. She needs a God who's beyond ethnic divisions and political party lines. And hearing of one, she finds the courage to look to him, to seek him, and to ask him for mercy. Hebrews 11.31 says, By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Now, Hebrews 11, you know as the hall of faith. It's the place where all of these great heroes of faith, people who did incredible things to, to act out their faith and to show their trust in the Lord, that's where they all appear. And Rahab's name appears there to show that her actions in this chapter didn't just come because she's a naturally courageous person or she's such a, a yeah, she was a prostitute, but she was really such a great person. We, we really should recognize her as a role model. No, it, it is her faith that is highlighted and held up. And anything else that we see about her life here in this chapter springs from that faith and the changes that it brought. That's how she's connected to Christmas. That's how she's connected to Jesus' genealogy. Now, some of you, as you reflect on that and you reflect on your own story, you would recognize, I've had way more chances than her. I've heard, I've heard more sermons. I've attended more Bible studies. I, I've, just, I've had a much clearer presentation of, of the gospel spelled out to me than her. And yet, maybe you would say, for all the advantages that I have, I haven't responded, I don't think, the way that Rahab did. I haven't given myself to God the way that Rahab did. I still haven't gone all in with him. Still haven't put my full trust in him. Kind of hovering on the sidelines. Kind of still on the outside looking in. And Matthew points to Rahab in his genealogy of Jesus to say, this is how you get in on the true joy of Christmas. This is the path to that life, not through prostitution, not through living in a, a city that was uh, on, the, on the verge of God's judgment, but in that willingness in the midst of all that is going on and all of your background to say, this God of grace and God of miracles, I think that he could save me. And to put your life fully in his hands. So we said that Rahab wasn't connected to Christmas because of her morality or her virtue. But she was connected to Christmas because of her faith. And finally, what we see in this passage, that she was also connected to, faith, connected to Christmas because... Her faith could walk. That there was not just, uh, she didn't just believe in God the way maybe you believe in 
Murphy's Law or the Toronto Raptors. She believed in God in a way that changed how she lived. She put her life on the line and it was transformative for her. Rahab was connected to Christmas because her faith could walk. Now, when I introduced the two spies at the beginning and I said they had been sent into the land, some of you were probably picturing James Bond types, right? You were thinking, these are, these are expert sleuths. They've come on in and, and maybe they're, you know, they've got all of these costume changes and they, they're scaling the walls like Tom Cruise did. And, the, and, and you're kind of picturing these super spies that are heading into the land. And that picture is probably not very helpful. This is probably their first mission. And frankly, as you look at, at the, uh, the way the, the story is told, it doesn't seem like they're particularly good at their job. Verse 1, the spies are sent in. Verse 2, the spies are found out. Like they, they're, they're, Whatever they were doing to try to go unnoticed, it was a disaster. They were not, not very good at going unnoticed. Once, they're un, once they are, are, are found out that people have noticed, what are, these, what are these Jewish guys doing at the brothel? They are reported to the king. The king sends messengers, probably soldiers also, and they go to Rahab to find out where they are. She knows at this point, if she gets on the wrong side of the king, you, as a prostitute, you don't have many friends and allies. If she gets on the wrong side of the king, at the very least, her business is going to be shut down, but most likely, she is going to have her death uh, facing that itself. And so her life is on the line at this point. But she doesn't seem to respond with an ounce of fear. She hides the spies on her roof and essentially tells the messengers, I didn't know where they came from, and I didn't really, it's, you know, it's not me. I, I couldn't tell that they were Jewish. Um, and and they, they left. They're, they're gone already. So there's not much I can do about it. But if you chase after them, you can probably catch them. And she redirects. She sends them in a different direction. Now, that's good news for the spies. And we think, oh, I guess that's a good thing that Rahab did. But some of you are thinking, that's kind of good, but... I thought that God was kind of down on lying. Like, he doesn't, he's not really into not telling the truth and deceiving people. That, that doesn't seem like something that God is, is into. And so, is Rahab kind of, are we saying that she's bad and what she did was wrong? And if so, then why is it saying in Hebrews that, wow, what a great person of faith that she was? What's, what's happening there? Is was, was Rahab wrong to, uh, to lie to the king, to lie to these messengers? Is it wrong for uh, a police officer to go undercover to catch criminals? Is that wrong? We say that that's something we shouldn't do? Uh, was it wrong for the allies to deceive Hitler as to the location of the actual landing invasion of Normandy? Was, was that wrong? Were, were we saying, well, it was a good ending, but the thing that they did, kind of how they went about it, that was wrong. Most people, as they reflect on that and reflect actually on some of the military strategies that God prescribes for the Israelites in the Old Testament, come to the conclusion that 
uh, there are certain situations when you're actually not obligated to tell the truth. Uh, that's why, for instance, it, uh, God commends the Hebrew midwives for lying to Pharaoh and protecting the babies that he wanted killed. It doesn't say, well, it was good that, you, it, it was good that the babies didn't, kill, didn't get killed, but you really sin by, by lying to them. It, no, he seems to say, in certain situations, you don't have that obligation to truth. And it's probably why Rahab's actions here are commended as acts of faith. She has, in fact, at this point, joined the resistance. She is a, a, a part of the Israelite invasion, and she has gone over to the other side. And in war, you don't have an obligation to tell the enemy what you're about to do. Now, once the king's messengers had gone, she helped the spies get away. And when God's judgment fell on Jericho, she and all of her family were wonderfully saved. James 2.25 holds up her actions as an example of someone whose good works uh, uh, demonstrate that their faith is real. It justifies uh, that, that person in, in, in his sight. It says, Was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? The message is her faith could walk. Her, her faith resulted in a changed life, a change of direction. It, 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 it meant differences for her. It meant transformation for her. She put her life on the line and refused to fear the consequences. And she was not only spared God's judgment, but she was included in God's family. She was received into the people of God and become, became a part of Israel. She married a man named Salmon and became the great, great grandmother of King David and became a part of the Messianic line, a part of Jesus' story. And Matthew includes her name again here to remind us Christmas is for people like her. She, Rahab shows us the path to Christmas, the, the path to enjoying uh, that, that joy that God has provided for us. No one's too far gone to be beyond redeeming. No one is beyond hope. No matter what your past, there is a, an offer of forgiveness held out in Jesus Christ. Now, many people like Rahab responded to Jesus' message when he came. And many people like Rahab respond to Jesus' message still today. But others assume they're close enough that they don't really need what Rahab needed. They're good enough that they don't really need the forgiveness, the rescuing that Rahab did. Jesus, you know, rebuked many of the most moral and religious people of his day. He said in Matthew 20, 21, 31, Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. I wonder as you hear those words from Jesus, whether those are words that he might say even to you this morning. Do you look down on the Rahabs of the world and pat yourself on the back that you're not one of them? Do you feel glad that, hey, I'm happy that there's salvation for people like Rahab. 
just, I don't think that I, I need it. I don't, think, I don't think I'm that far gone that I, I need God to actually rescue me. I don't think my sins are all that serious. I don't think God's judgment would extend to a good person like me. If you can't see some of yourself in her, then you probably don't know the hope, the joy of Christmas that God wants to communicate to us through the scriptures. Do you believe in God's promise the way that Rahab did? Do you believe no matter what my past, no matter what has has come before, I believe that there is a good God who has promised a blessing to those who seek him? Do you believe in God's judgment the way that Rahab did? Do you believe that unless you put your life in his hands, put your full trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, that one day the walls of this world will come tumbling down and you will find yourself on the receiving end of his anger and wrath? And do you believe in God's deliverance? Do you believe in the God who rescued slaves and set free prostitutes can extend that mercy to you as you reach out to him in faith, as you lay hold of him in mercy. Let Rahab remind you of the real path to Christmas, the real message of Christmas, which is so different than uh, the message that our world would, would communicate. And as we receive that message, let it change us. Let it shape how we act and how we see uh, the people in our world. Let's look to him now in prayer. Father in heaven, I pray for anyone here this morning who struggles to believe, frankly, that God could save them. Would you use Rahab's story to convince them of your grace? If there was hope for her, then none of us are too far gone. Father, I also pray for people who think they're better than Rahab. People that don't think they need to worry about your judgment. Would you open their eyes to their true spiritual condition? Would you warn them before it's too late? Help all of us, Father, to act on our faith and to live out what we believe. And may we extend the same mercy to the Rahabs of the world that you extend to us. For we ask you in Jesus' name.